Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And I sent out a little notice to the network, which everybody should be a part of, saying that I was going to talk about draining the swamp. I think I've had this as a topic before, but I'm going to use a little bit different sources in referencing exactly how you drain the swamp, and where is that swamp, and how did we get stuck in this swamp, and... uh, there's a lot of questions we could ask about the swamp. Really what we may have to do is go out to the wilderness and find out what Israel was doing when it went out into the wilderness and why it went out there and what the early church was doing. And we talk about those things all the time in order to find out what the keys to the kingdom are really all about. And uh, what I actually said in there is what are most people missing when it comes to seeking solutions and salvation? Salvation was a solution. There were a lot of problems at the time of Christ. The, they, they had the Roman Empire uh, growing in power and influence. You'd only had uh, Caesars, you know, these emperors, for about 50 years. And... Uh, and along comes Christ. I mean, you know, Augustus Caesar was calling for a census where you would actually uh, count the people and find out how many human resources you had available to you to uh, tax. And so he was doing this throughout the empire. And uh, some people went and got counted and some people went to get counted, but then had a dream and left town. <laughs> I guess they realized, I don't I don't think we should count this baby. This baby should, you know, leave town for a while. And uh, that's what Jesus and Mary and Joseph did. They, they got out of town, got out of Dodge, so to speak. And uh, they went to Egypt for a while. And... Uh, there's lots of stories about what they were doing in Egypt. They're not in the Bible. So you can believe them or not believe them. But actually, there's a lot of evidence that Jesus and his family were not poor. Uh, one of the, the evidences actually says it in the Bible. That though he was rich, he made himself poor. And we also know that his uncle was extremely rich. And according to historians, one of the richest men in the Roman Empire. And so... Joseph really wasn't a humble carpenter. Uh, he was maybe humble, uh, but he was evidently a very wealthy contractor and probably worked more in stone than in wood. But uh, some people think that's irrelevant, but it's interesting uh, to point out to people that Jesus was actually from a rich family. But the Bible says, though he was rich, he made himself poor. Now, why would he make himself poor? Well, we've explained this over and over again. And we have articles up. Was Jesus rich? And you can find those if you go to the Living Network or go to Preparing You and do a search. If you go to the Living Network, somebody will show you 
where that article is. And it's just an examination of some of the facts surrounding uh, Jesus and history and and things uh, that it says in the Bible. And, and these examinations often are, can be enlightening because it can upset the paradigm that you are now stuck in. That paradigm that you're stuck in, that's quicksand. That's That's the swamp. You're stuck in this swamp of information that is not really true. And uh, and so, you know, examination of that to realize that what you believe to be true may not be so. What did, what did Mark Twain say? If I can remember it, uh, it's not so much what you uh, don't know that gets you into trouble, but what you absolutely know is true that just ain't so. And uh, that's what gets you into trouble. And there's a lot of things that people believe that just ain't so. And that bogs their mind down. You know, it fills their mind up with information that doesn't allow the truth to come in. You know, I mean, Jesus talked about this. You know, because you say you see, you remain blind. Because you think you already know everything. Uh, I can't tell you anymore. I mean, uh, even Buddha said, uh, you know, talks about uh, your your key, your your cup of tea is full. I can't give you any more tea until you empty some of the tea out that you've already got in there. In other words, you have to let go of your delusion in order to receive the truth. And and the problem is, uh, like somebody sent a. A copy of an email uh, this uh, week to the ministers group. The ministers talk amongst themselves and they have a, a separate group where we examine different things. And somebody had sent out uh, an email. Uh, uh, he has a radio show and he says he was using his radio show and uh, contacts in the Florida state to bring some of the faithful together to set up a community where we will live as Yahweh intended to show everyone how it could be if they would just come out of Babylon. But of course, you know, we have an article about, you know, exiting Babylon, coming out of Babylon. And of course, Jesus told his apostles to come out. Uh, or at least to follow him and to be in the world, but not of the world. But the, and then we see in uh, Revelations where it talks about come out of her, her, my people. But that that come out of her, my people, is at the end of the Bible. There are things that you have to do before you come out. And of course, if we go back to the ancient history of the bondage of Egypt, that's when Israel was in bondage for four hundred years. For, were in bondage in Egypt. Now, why were they in bondage in Egypt? Well, they didn't have provisions, and there was a dearth in the land, a depression, a famine, and they needed to go to Pharaoh. And uh, fortunately, their brother was in place in Pharaoh, uh, in Pharaoh's Egypt, and he had made provisions because he saw the famine coming in advance. He was able to see things far off. He was able to see you know, and interpret, uh, you know, God was evidently trying to tell the Pharaoh 
what was coming, but he couldn't quite figure it out, so he needed the help of Joseph, and Joseph, who could see things clearly, helped him. Well, what if Joseph was still at home with his brothers? Maybe they had a similar dream, or maybe they had certain feelings, but Joseph could have seen it and told their brothers they needed to put up grain and store up, you know, food because there was a famine coming. And then Egypt would have had to come to them. But uh, it ended up being the other way around. That they meant it unto evil that they sold their brother into slavery out of jealousy and envy. But God turned it to good. And so now you're in a situation today where you're in a bondage worse than the bondage of Egypt. And bondage of Egypt... You had to pay 20% of everything you produced, you know, 20% of your labor every day, every year, went to the government. And the government provided you with, you know, grain or bread when things were bad. Grain was used as money. I mean, where they, the banks actually kept storage of grain because it was a way of storing wealth. A wealth that could be shipped to other countries, eventually like Rome. You could ship this grain in these huge, gigantic ships that the Romans used to build. That would carry hundreds of passengers and and tons and tons and tons of wheat and, and even stone and all kinds of uh, commodities. Uh, but wheat was this was this way of storing wealth because you could store wheat in that dry Egyptian climate for years and it was still good. And so if there was a famine, you even if the famine lasted for seven years, you would have enough food to get you through. And that, of course, is what happened. And uh, there wasn't the rains. and There was some sort of climate change that took place. <laughs> hint, hint. Uh, some sort of climate change that took place. It wasn't man-caused. It just took place because from time to time, there's climate change. And uh, that climate change caused it not to rain. And it also caused the river uh, Nile not to flood. And because it didn't flood, they didn't irrigate the crops in Egypt. And so the crops failed. And with that, eventually, uh, you know, everybody needed grain. And fortunately, there had been seven good years and they put up lots of grain. And that was a good and smart thing to do. Now, personally, I would advise people to start doing that now. Or all the time. You should always have this reserve, not just so you can save yourself, but so you can save others. But... In order to put together such reserves, you would have to work together as people. And, of course, people don't know how to do that. The, the Israelite brothers couldn't work together with Joseph. They were too jealous and envious. Instead of gathering together, they abandoned their brother. They sold him even into slavery just to get rid of him. Fortunately, they didn't kill him or they'd all be dead today. But uh, we often abandon one another. Because we don't know the law. We don't know 
the will of God. We don't know the Ten Commandments. We don't know what the Bible is really all about. And we think we do. You know, we're told we do. We've studied religion. We've studied our religion. We've, you know, joined this church or that church. And this, I see this all the time. That people want to believe they got it. They've figured it out. You know, God loves them and they're saved. Because they accepted God. They actually accepted an idea. It's usually involving a certain amount of emotion. Some sort of release of uh, adrenaline in their own minds and feelings. And then they want to believe that they're saved. And that's it. And... uh it's it's an imaginary salvation. It's not real salvation. But they... Now, see, to say that, that's I'm attacking their delusion again. You know, because it tells you, by their fruits you will know them. The fruit of their belief, you will know them. And so, when you looked at their lives, you would see, oh, well, they're not going the way of Egypt. They're not going the way of, you know, uh, the brothers to Joseph. They're not being jealous and envious. They're not being covetous. They're keeping the commandments. You know, if you love Jesus, if you really love Jesus, you'd keep his commandments. You would not covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. You would not want any sort of a benefit that comes from a ruler who exercises authority one over the other. In other words, forces the contributions of the people. Now, Egypt, when it rose to power, it was not taxing the people. It was just a wealthy, wealthy man who was in a prominent place, and he was accumulating grain. He was storing vast amount of grain. Now, he had to build uh, you know, granaries in order to put this grain in. He had to plant the grain, he had to harvest the grain, he had to winnow the grain, and he just kept storing it up. He didn't sell it. He had enough resources that he could store up surplus. Now, I'm sure he sold some, but they were good years, so there was this surplus. He was able to put up large amounts of grain year after year after year after year for seven years, and he... You know, he could have just sold it or he cut back and not grown as much. But instead, he grew this extra grain. Now, we used to do that here in the United States. We uh, we had farmers growing grain everywhere. But what happened was that when they everybody grew a lot of grain and went to try to sell it, they the price dropped because there was so much grain on the market. So instead of, you know, $4 a bushel or $3 a bushel or even $2 a bushel, people say, well, I'll only give you $1.50 for that. And the guy had to sell because he had to pay his bills. And so he sold the grain at a loss. And it was devastating to the wheat industry, to the farming industry. So the U.S. government came up with an idea We'll buy your grain at market rate, but you store it in your own silo. You have to put up a silo and it has to meet these specifications. You know, it had to be, you know, watertight and rodent tight and, 
And uh, so they started, somebody started making these and sold lots of them. And they're all over the, you know, the country. And they would store the grain and there'd be a sticker run. I used to read the sticker back in the 60s. And it says the property of the federal government da, 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 and had a number and all this kind of stuff. And when the only one who could buy that grain back didn't, you know, the government couldn't come in and just take it. But you could buy that grain back at the same price that you sold it for, plus, you know, like one and a half percent interest, very small interest. And so when there was no crop and the price went up, you know, there was a famine. And of course, always in wheat farming, especially in the Dakotas and places where you may get rain, you may not get rain, you know. Uh, there, there could be climate changes, uh, there could be variations in the rainfall, and you could have a bad crop. So you have a good crop for a couple of years, and then you'd have one year where there's a bad crop, and, and if it was a bad crop, and all over the Dakotas and, uh, the Midwest, grain prices would go up, because there would be a shortage. But there wasn't a shortage, because they could go and buy back the grain in those silos, and put it on the market, and sell it, at, you know, say if they had sold it originally to the government for $3 a bushel, well, they could buy it back for $3.05 or $0.06. Cents. And uh, they buy it back, but that's a bad year, so the price of grain may have gone up to, you know, $3.50. And they would buy it back and, and sell it. Now, grain really hasn't been going up much than it was back in the 60s. But bread sure has been going up. So why would that be? If you're not getting much more per bushel, why is the price of bread so much higher? Well, that's because labor, um, taxes, gasoline tax, road tax, all this grain has to be transported to big, huge, giant bakeries, etc. And so... There's more tax, there's inflation, you have to pay employees more because they can't buy. So, even though we're still producing the grain at about the same price, <laughs> you, you're, you, uh, your bread's a lot more expensive. But anyway, what happens if there's a crop failure and you lose all that grain and it doesn't come back? And say there was climate change for four or five years. You know, uh, short summers. We've had that before in history. Uh, not in recent history, but we've... Well, we've seen little evidence of it. Not too distant uh, past. But there's been periods of time since Christ where there were literally no summer for several years in a row. Crops failed everywhere, and people were eating each other in in Europe and in in China <laughs> because there was no food. There was just total famine, and millions died. and uh, And the, the planet wasn't that crowded at that time, so all that's possible again. And that you would want a solution to that, right? That would be part of the salvation. But, well, we're not doing that. We, we, and of course the solution is not to get the government to re-implement the program. Because they don't have any of that storage now in the United States. 
they don't have that storage in most countries. There are a few that have been storing up, but it's been uh, some of the storage has been going on. It's been secretly done by governments, storing up not for the marketplace but for their private reserves in underground shelters. They do this in the Ural Mountains. They've done it in China for years. And uh, and uh, I'm sure they're doing it in the United States. You know, I get evidence that they are. But uh, they're not storing it up for the general population. They're storing it up to gain control and to to protect their own. That's not new. They did that in Rome. That's how they got to the point where they needed emperors. <laughs> because... There were generals manipulating the price of grain, which is the you know the main staple of food. So all food would affected the price of everything. You know, it's like people say, well, if the grain crops fail, we'll just eat more potatoes. Except there isn't more potatoes. <laughs> there, there's only so much of that. So if one of these major staple things disappears or is in short supply. It will affect the price of all foods across the board. And uh, and nobody is doing anything to save you. No one is doing anything to provide a solution. And nobody did anything to provide a solution in Rome. So they suddenly needed a savior. Their first savior was Augustus. That's what Augustus really means is savior. And that wasn't his name. That was a title given to him. So he was the savior of the people. But now... 25 years after that, this other guy is born, Jesus, and he, you know, 25, 30 years later from that point, he comes along and he's the Savior. They're calling him a Savior. Well, what was going on? I mean, there were riots going on in Jerusalem, spoken of in the Bible by Jesus, that were going on because there were difficulties and there was financial trouble. Uh, their social security was being depleted for government projects. Yeah, they had social security in those days. It was called Corbin. And it was run through the temple. And this is a matter of history. You know, people can actually look this up other places. Not many people telling you about it. But we tell you about it. But that Corbin... That system of social welfare, which even the Talmud talks about, was making the word of God to none effect. Polybius talked about the same thing. That it was degenerating the people because it was a system based on men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority. Christ came to save people from that system because that was a deceitful system that it was going to be a snare and a trap. It was going to bind the people. It would make them merchandise. It would bring them back into the bondage of Egypt. And that's where modern Christians are, back in the bondage of Egypt. That is the fruit of their faith. Because they don't really believe in the real Jesus. They believe in an artificial Jesus that was created by men. Need to turn around from that. We'll be right back.
So welcome back. So this uh, individual who uh, wrote uh, this uh, thing about, you know, uh, getting together in a community, he talks about uh, a community specifically live as Yahweh intended. Well, Yahweh actually intended that you be in bondage. (laughs) That's what Yahweh intended because... Because you had abandoned the ways of God. That's, uh, he, he intended that you be under tribute. Because you were slothful in the ways of God. That's, that's really an important thing to accept. That you're in bondage not because there was a Pharaoh. Not because there was an Egypt. Not even because there was a famine. You're in bondage because you were slothful in the ways of God. Because that's why you go, the slothful shall be under tribute. That's what, that's what Yahweh wants. He wants the slothful to be under tribute. In hope that they will learn a lesson. So the fact that you're under tribute is being, you are being punished for your slothfulness. You are not under tribute because of fraud. You are not under tribute because somebody else did something bad. It's because you were slothful in the ways of God. Now you have to accept that or you can't make progress forward. You can't get out of Egypt unless you realize that you are a sinner and have not only been slothful, but actually have been engaged in covetous practices. You or at least your parents or your grandparents. Because Israel, when they woke up to their bondage, they had to realize that they were in bondage because of what their parents had done. 400 years before. Now that's that's really an important perspective. You've got to grasp that. To understand why you're in the quicksand. In the swamp. And under tribute. And in bondage. In the bondage of Egypt. You have to understand that. Now if you just struggle. Against that truth. You're going to sink deeper into bondage. It's going to be worse for you in about 10 minutes than it was <laughs> when we started the show. Because you're going, to, you're going to sink down further if you're not going to accept the responsibility of your own sin. You're going to give the strong delusion, the swamp, the quicksand, more power over you the more you struggle against the fact that you are where you are Because you were slothful. Now, I start with slothful because I don't want to say it's entirely your fault. Your parents were covetous and through their covetous practices, they have cursed you with bondage. Which is what it tells you will happen in the Bible, in the New Testament, in Peter. He says, through covetous practices, you you will curse your children. Well, you are those children. Now, you may have cursed your children too 
through covetous practice, but it probably started before you were even born, the covetous practices, because we've been in bondage for a long time. It's gotten worse, but you were in bondage for a long time. Israel was in bondage for 400 years. You've been in bondage for at least 100 years. And it depends on where you want to count the beginning of that bondage. You know, you go back to the Civil War and actually see a bondage developing then. You can go to 1913, 1916. You can see elements of that bondage increasing. 1933, 1970, 1975. The bondage just kept increasing and increasing. But it started way back. Not 400 years ago. But things seem to move more rapidly now. <laughs> Which... Which the decline and fall of the Roman Empire took 400 years. Not going to take that long. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this guy goes on to write. Uh, he mentioned it on his Wednesday night show under his uh, his law, common law. He refers to common law as his law. That isn't really. Common law is the common law. That's what it means. Common law. Well, today his law is not that common. <laughs> So, so common law by itself is not really descriptive of his law. But anyway, he goes on and gives a big long list of no personal income tax, no property tax, no deductions from uh, one's paycheck ever, small, uh, very limited state government. Well, I don't know what that means, small, very limited state government. But anyway, well, you know, that that's all. I, I think of Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof. If they would agree, I would agree. <laughs> and of course, that takes us really back to the story of the bondage of Egypt. Because Moses came and said, let my people go. Now Moses was the heir to the throne of Egypt as the adopted son of the daughter of Pharaoh. The guy who was on the throne at that particular time, because Moses had gone, he'd left town. And it wasn't quite like the movie shows. <laughs> so I don't think it was that way. He actually chose to leave town. Because he saw himself becoming a dictator. He saw himself becoming a murderer. And an oppressor of the people. And he rejected that. And he let, chose to leave town. And he found another way to go. Through prayer and through counsel. And through, through the revelations of God. He found another way to go. And now he came back to set the people free and to teach them this other way. And when he got there, he told the Pharaoh, let my people go. You can have this stuff, but I will take the people. This is the same story we saw with Abraham. Abraham had conquered the people who had stolen the people from Sodom and Gomorrah had kidnapped people, including his nephew, had was taking them off as spoils of war. They were now going to be in bondage to these other kings who came in and defeated the city-states. But overnight, Abraham was able to muster an army because he had set up all these altars and these other people came along with him and they defeated the these kings. And so now all the spoils that they had taken now by the law of nations belong 
to Abraham. But Abraham was not a man to bring men into bondage. He was a man to set men free. He had set men free out of Haran. Many souls had followed Abraham and followed the ways of Abraham, which were not slothful ways, which were ways of altars and of clay and stone. And you go read our articles on that and you'll know what that what those are are social welfare systems that operate by faith, hope, and charity. That's what the altars were. Clay and stone were systems of giving and thanksgiving. That's right. They were thankful for the opportunity of giving. They were taking care of one another and creating religiere bonds, bonds, rebinding people through faith, hope, and charity instead of contracts of force and violence. This is what Abraham was doing. This is what Moses wanted to teach the people. But the Pharaoh said he wasn't going to let him go. Now, he didn't have any authority to do that. And God could have just smited him right then and there. But there was something the people had to learn. They weren't ready for the wilderness. You might... They they were stuck in the swamp. They had to get out of the quicksand, get dried off a bit, and then head out. <laughs> they, they were in a mess. They didn't know how to be free. It would have been a bad thing if God had just freed them right then and there. And so he hardened the heart of the Pharaoh so that the Pharaoh said, No, you can't go. So that he could bring in the lessons they needed to learn. This guy's plan doesn't talk about those lessons. He thinks you learn those lessons by reading his books or his stuff. I know. You can read our website and all the hundreds of articles and listen to the hundreds and hundreds of audios. Uh, I mean, you could listen to our audio every day and you wouldn't even get caught up. But that isn't how you learn the ways of God. You learn by doing. You have to be a doer of the word. This guy just says, oh, we're just going to remove all these bad things that came about. Came about because of your slothfulness. Came about because of your covetous practices and the covetous practices of your parents. We're just going to remove these things and take you and set you free. I don't know how he figures on doing that. But he goes through all kinds of different things that he talks about. If if they actually did what they were doing, they would be raided and and destroyed, and they couldn't even do them anyway. It wouldn't work, especially with the people that would probably show up. I've been at this for years. I know what kind of people show up. We have quite a turnover because people, everybody wants to be free, but nobody wants the responsibility of liberty. They don't. They don't want to. They want to stay slothful, but they want what is produced by slothfulness to go away. The, the ramification, the repercussions of slothfulness to go away. And it, it, there's just no way to do that. You have to stop being slothful in the ways of God. They they talk about just setting this up. What do they do with the fact that they're a surety for debt? They talk about having land, uh, getting the title to land and being you know, separate and all this kind of stuff. How do you get the title to land? You can't get it from the states. The states are bankrupt. You can't even get it from the United States. It's all used your land as surety for its debt. 
so they could provide you with in your parents and your grandparents with all of those benefits. I mean, you 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 send somebody to me that not only taught his children at home instead of going to the public school. He himself never went to public school and that when his parents were older, he took care of his parents. He provided for his parents, not the government. You bring me somebody like that and I'll say, that person is ready to be free. (laughs) Most of you can't say that. I can't even entirely say that. I mean, I never went to public school. My kids, I never sent them to public school. I did, you know, uh, help take care of my mother and, and even my father. My father was hardly ever even on Social Security. He died at 62. So, uh, that, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't, wasn't the course of, uh, the problem in our family. But, uh, in most families, they haven't learned those lessons. But I still, uh, you know, like Jesus even says about John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist, there's no greater man than John the Baptist. But in the kingdom of God, he is the least of them. That you got to measure up at least to his standard even to get near the door. <laughs> so, But this guy is saying, we're just going to be free. We're going to own our own land. We're not going to have any income tax. And he doesn't even know what God... Yahweh intended he be in bondage because he was slothful in the ways of God. And I don't see anywhere where he talks about the ways of God. He doesn't sound like Christ. He doesn't sound like Moses. And they actually set men free. He talks about electing offices. For men, certain have to meet certain qualifications. One of the qualifications he puts down is they've got to be white, which right away is kind of a red flag. But the biggest red flag is the fact that he wants offices of authority. You know, he wants to set up a sheriff. Well, sheriffs came much later. There were no sheriffs around. Tithing men fulfilled the role of the sheriff. And tithing men were a part of a system of social welfare that that not only cared for the widows and orphans, but also uh, provided this... Uh, oversight for you know in case of lawbreakers and robbers and thieves so that they could set out a hue and cry but the tithing men were they didn't need to elect a sheriff they already had the tithing men which organized the people in the tens hundreds and thousands but anyway he goes on and talks about state issued currency what the heck is that that in, where does where does God have a state issued currency? <laughs> you should read our Golden Calf article. He says believers knowledgeable of Scripture. Well, that would leave him out, it seems. Now I don't know the guy, but uh, I'll come on his radio show and show him that what I'm talking about. If he wants somebody on as as a guest, he 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 says there's only going to be two forms of punishment: execution and restitution. Well, that's not what it says in the Bible. And uh, as a matter of fact, they're not even as concerned with punishment as they are with repentance, changing of the heart. Uh, the, uh, the, the laws that Moses set up is not to punish the wicked. It was to protect the innocent. 
the uh, as a matter of fact, there's a lot of things that Moses talks about being law that there's. I mean, the Ten Commandments doesn't even mention punishments. The the punishment for not keeping the Ten Commandments is not keeping the Ten Commandments because the punishment's already built in. If you're going to be slothful in the ways of God, if you're going to stray from the ways of God, the punishment's already coming. I don't have to implement any punishment. It's coming. Uh, and, you know, we explain this in our articles on stoning. What was stoning? Was stoning punishment? Well, no, it was the repercussions. And it didn't have anything to do with hitting people in the head with rocks. And people don't understand that because they're not knowledgeable in Scripture. <laughs> they have a preconceived notion of Scripture. And they don't understand. So, what they're... What he's actually doing is he's adding quicksand to the mire. <laughs> he's he's bringing you into the mire, and uh, we have an article on the mire. Uh, the pig returns to his mire, and that's what he's doing with his plan. He doesn't know it. He may be well intentioned, but he doesn't have a knowledge of scripture that is needed to actually do what Yahweh would want you to do. And so, therefore, Yahweh has intended that he be in bondage. And that's, of course, what Romans 13 is all about. Romans 13 says, you know, let every man remain subject to the higher liberty, because all liberty is of God. There is no liberty but of God, and anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. And those people who oppose liberty want to set up offices of authority, <laughs> like sheriffs, and uh, and you know, cast out the stranger in their midst and send them back to their own country. And that's not what Israel did. So, what what should he be doing? You know, because what's going to happen is that he's just creating another monster. And, and he, he won't be able to do it. You know, he's he just is denying the fact that they're in bondage already. And that's one thing Israel did not do. They did not deny that they were in bondage in Egypt. I'm sure there were people going around trying to, you know. I mean, you have to imagine that there there were guys who were thinking, we were free souls under God and now we're in bondage in Egypt. We should throw off our oppressors and set up another government. (laughs) Well, had they done that, it would have been worse for them. And all the Israelites did not follow Moses. Some of them left. We never heard of them again. <laughs> anyway, he's he's got all kinds of things. Uh, very small company taxes. So, there are taxes. I can guarantee you that all the taxes that we have now, they were very small at the beginning too. But it's the camel's nose inside the tent that you create. He says, no corporations. Well, how come you can... Corporations are just the result of contracts. Now, I, I agree that a corporation should not get the status of a person and there should be no limited liability for what you decide. But the reality is, is there, there's no reason why there should not be corporations. Uh, corporations are fine. That's not the problem. Selfishness is the problem. And I see very little addressing that. Selfishness. It's the fact that you don't love your neighbor as much as yourself. That's the problem. And, I mean, the whole law hinged on two things. To love God, not your image of God, but the actual real God. 
and the character of God and to love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to be a free society, you have to start doing that. And of course, that's what the bondage of Egypt was all about and and why they had to stay in the bondage of Egypt, pay their tally of bricks, but glean in the field at night for their benefits, their straw. In other words, look to one another for their benefits. Because that's how you learn to love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you come to face to face with the fact that you don't really love your neighbor as much as yourself now. And until you start loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself now, you ain't going to be free. You ain't going to be as Yahweh intended. And there's there's no mention of that in his diatribe here. Except he did say that education is paid for by the parents. Well, what do you mean? You're going to set up schools and force the parents to pay for the education? Why didn't you just say homeschooled? You know, I mean, a parent can hire a tutor. You know, ten, ten parents get together. They could hire somebody to tutor their kids to help them with their studies. Because, I mean, what's that? That's no big deal. You do all that in the house. Tutor could spend one day out of the week at five different homes and do just fine. Or, say, um, half a day at each home, ten homes, five days a week, spend half a day at each home, and they could tutor all the kids. Unless you wanted to hire a babysitter, but you should be doing that. It says no central bank, but he's got somebody issuing currency, so you tell me what, who's doing that. Yeah, cause he says state issued currency in the very next line, he says no mortgage, no central bank. So what are they issuing as currency? You know, it says no insurance companies are allowed. That's exercising authority. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with an insurance company. I mean, a group of people want to do something and they know that there's a certain liability and danger. They can set up a fund to cover the liability and danger of that thing. That's just counting the cost. Now, the way insurance companies run today is crazy. But you you don't have to run it like that. You could run it like the kingdom would be run. But uh, to say that they don't have a right to create such a company, the fact is, is... You can't make, the more rules you make up, the more likely you're going to end up with tyranny. It talks about a central government. He says the central government will be biblically based. Elected monarchy with an assembly of elders. Elected monarchy? What the heck is that? We're going to elect a king with an assembly of elders to watch over the monarch? And to assist him in decision making. (laughs) Does this guy know what the five elements of a constitution is according to the Bible? Why do we have to elect a monarch? (laughs) But anyway, we're actually going to talk about somebody else entirely different in the next part of the show. Who actually is kind of an interesting guy. And I haven't finished my own study of him. But we'll do that when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom.
Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, I said I'd be talking about somebody else, but uh, I thought I'd just finish up. I I glanced down farther in uh, that little shared email to see what else was uh, part of the topic of the original uh, hope of creating this community. And, and I see, which is again a part of this quagmire and swamp, is that uh, not only was uh, it important that you be white, uh, also much of what the problems are in America today are the fault of the Jews. And that, of course, is nonsense. That is not biblical. It's the fault of us because we've been slothful in the ways of God. That's why we're in this mess. And our parents, through their covetous practices, cursed us with debt. And so, therefore, we are now a surety to debt. And even though you may have inalienable rights, until you deal with the debt, you're not going to get out. You're not going to be free. You cannot set up a free community. Now, you can turn around, you can repent, you can start seeking the righteousness of God. And through God's grace, He could arrange the dissolution of the debt. The dissolving of that debt. He could make it go away. But you can't. Unless you got bootstraps that you can grab onto and effectively pull yourself up out of the surety of debt, you're stuck. (laughs) You're absolutely stuck. There's no place to go. I mean, if you were in Egypt in the bondage of Egypt before, you could cross the Sinai Desert and get out to some place like where Jethro is, and you could probably live free. You could probably get a bunch of people together and go north and find some place, maybe up in the Ural Mountains, and live free. But today, there ain't no place to go. You cannot escape the present bondage of Egypt because the whole world has gone into it. So you talk about coming out of Babylon. The trick is not coming out of Babylon. The trick is getting Babylon out of you. I can take a man out of Egypt, but I can't take Egypt out of the man unless the man is willing to look at his own heart. And blaming everybody else for your present state of being is not productive. That's why Jesus started with the word repent. You got to change. You got to turn around. You want to follow the law of Yahweh? You got to love your neighbor as yourself. Where do I see anybody doing that? That's what I see Christ doing. Christ came to serve. You're coming in the name of Jesus. You better be coming to serve. You better be coming to gather together in a congregation that is networking together with all the other congregations with the intention of giving and forgiving. Thanksgiving is giving and forgiving. I may may do a show eventually on the liturgy of James. Uh, somebody brought it to my attention and I, I was looking over it and there was already a, just 
reading down a little ways, I was noticing uh, uh, several references. Now, this is a translation that, that Liturgy of James came about about 400 years after James. So, it's probably not written by him, but it may have some common sources in something that James wrote. And, uh, you know, we, we see some evidence of that in... in uh, the Catechism of, of uh, Cyril of Jerusalem. But all these people are years after they threw James off the wall and <laughs> killed him in Jerusalem and not really a part of what James was really doing. But still, they had writings of James. They had things that James was doing. When Constantine said everybody had to become a Christian, they uh, they were saying... Okay, you guys all do it like the Christians. There were enough Christians around so they knew how the Christians did it. And so they had to start taking care of one another through charity. Now, Constantine jump-started them with millions and millions of dollars worth of property and gold and silver altars and all kinds of gifts to make it easy for them to start taking care of one another. And, And, of course... In the centuries that followed, there were kings who uh, supplemented the giving of the people. So they weren't real Christians. They were kind of half-hearted Christians. But for a long time, the church was the entire social welfare of the people. Uh, The church in Constantine was certainly going back in that direction of becoming the social welfare of the people. Although it depended a lot on kings and rulers to grant them large sums, which is why that church started crowning kings and rulers in hopes that they would get those large sums again, which is totally a way of corruption. Until you get all the way up into, you know, like Marie Antoinette's brother, who is uh, donating huge amounts to the church, and then suddenly says, uh, churches are not going to be in charge of marriage anymore. You have to get a state marriage if you want to be married or we won't recognize it. That was Marie Antoinette's brother who started that. And uh, and he started withholding <laughs> his contributions to any church who didn't go along with him, who resisted him. And of course, that was the beast, which had already been unchained 500 years, 600 years before. And uh, we were well on our way away from the kingdom. So again, what we were talking about at the beginning of the program, your bondage... You know, we could take it back to 1916, 1933, or 1913, or we could go back to the Civil War, or we could take it all the way back to William the Conqueror, <laughs> and uh, the Bullion, and Stephen, and Martin, and all these other kings who rose up and started oppressing, they say, putting down rebellion, which, which was really means oppressing those who were still at liberty. <laughs> That's what the, those guys were doing. And that was the beast unchained, and it began way back then. And uh, there's been attempts to throw off the, that tyranny, but and, and valiant attempts by many people. Uh, but exactly what you need to do is what we're talking about now. So anyway... The, one of the little things that I, I'll point out is this liturgy of St. James is is actually uh, what they call an anaphora. 
you know, it repeats. You repeat these. They, one says one thing. It's like a prayer. It's a formulated prayer that you you repeat. And it's still used in Syrian churches and all sorts of churches. But uh, this anaphora, this repetition of words and phrases, beginning in before excessive clauses that are telling you, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and then they repeat their part. That was actually called uh, batologia in the Greek, and which is a continual, unnecessary reiteration of the same words and phrases over and over again. That's actually what Jesus talks about in Matthew 6-7 when he says, But when we pray, use not vain repetitions. He, the Greek word there is batologia. <laughs> as, uh, as the heathens do. For they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. And of course that's, you know, Christians do that all the time now. You know, they like to play the same songs and repeat the same prayers over and over again. But the reality is, is what's going to get you heard is doing the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And if you want to be free, you have to start a pattern, a uh, ritual <laughs> and ceremonies of loving your neighbor. Not uh, mindless rituals and ceremonies, which brings me to this next guy I was going to talk to you about, which is a fellow by the name of Marcus. And uh, he's in Canada. And I'm, I'm not going to say he's of Canada. <laughs> I'm say he's in Canada. And I haven't really finished my study of him. He's kind of an interesting guy. He is he has been doing some thinking. He has been doing some research. And uh you know, he used to raise uh, birds of prey and sell them. That's one of the ways he made a living. And uh and suddenly they made it so he had to get a license to raise birds of prey. And if he didn't get the license, they were going to take all his birds of prey away from him. So he didn't actually own them. So anyway, he did a series of videos, and actually, I noticed that they have somebody has translated his videos into Spanish, and he's kind of popular. Uh, he's long-winded, of course. I'm long-winded, and he takes a long time to make a point sometimes. But he got he's done a lot of research, and he he goes to quote after quote after quote, and of course, we've we've covered everything that he talks about already. In uh, the book Covenants of the Gods. And of course we have audios that are covering those books. And uh, we go through all all the things that he talks about. And more. And all our stuff is up for free. And actually when I first looked at his website. I saw that he wanted $500 for his DVDs. But um, he actually. They are available on YouTube for free. And I've played a number of them in the background while I've been doing other work. But uh, there's quite a bit of them. Uh, and I don't recommend them. Because there's quicksand. <laughs> and what he's saying. And so therefore I can't recommend them. But I'll, But like I said, he had a lot of information that was interesting. And, and you know, when I wrote the book Covenants of the Gods, which is 144 pages long. It actually, you know, some, it would have been a 700 page book if I put down what I originally wrote as chapters. But 
I that was that was too much for people to read. So I reduced the fifteen chapters down to basically twelve pages apiece in in small pre, uh, you know in a small booklet form, and then that eventually translated into a large book, you know, eight by eleven that came out to be about 144 pages. And I have added a little bit now and then, but I try to keep it down to that 144 pages of actual material. And that's because you don't need to have endless repetition. And there is repetition in the book, but now there's repetition for a reason. That repetition is taking you... It's like a wheel with 15 spokes. And they all meet at this hub... And so there is a repetition when it comes down to the hub, to to the core element of what I'm talking about in the book Covenants of the Gods. And and that's his last video. Uh, he has two series. In the last video of the first series is about gods. And he goes on and on. I was trying to get it all listened to before tonight's, uh, today's show, but... Uh, I didn't finish it all, but I could see where he's going. And the fact is, is he tries to stay away from his personal opinion, but of course you cannot do that. And I try to stay away from my personal opinion, but of course I cannot do it either. Because your opinion affects what you're going to put first. I tried to teach and share according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, but I don't walk on water either. So you just have to take the good with the bad. But he talks, and, and I'm quoting in several places there, renewing your mind will be the hardest thing you will ever do. And the lying deceivers know it. Again, they rely on it at your expense. Well, there are lies out there. There are deceivers out there. But, you know, you cannot blame your present state on the liars and deceivers. Adam tried it. Eve tried it. Doesn't work. Stop doing it. <laughs> Stop blaming it on the serpent. It's not his. It's the serpent is the serpent. That's it. Okay, we got that. That's between him and God. But you were deceived because you were deceivable, and you were deceivable because you were vain. And blaming the serpent for your deception is a vain act. And you're not going to get better if you keep blaming the Jews and the Rothschilds and the and whoever, all these other guys who. You know, it's not my fault. The devil made me do it. <laughs> no, it is your fault because you were susceptible to his temptation. You desired what he offered you. And you have to see that, or you cannot get out of. It. That is the what makes the swamp quicksand. You struggle against your failing. And confess. The, the fact is you were selfish. You were slothful. Admit it. Admit it to yourself. Admit it to others. And then you can turn around. Then we can get you out of that 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 bog of a swampy quicksand. You can't change your mind. That's one of the questions he asks. Can you change your mind? Well, you think you can change your mind. But you're using your mind to change your mind. So how does that change your mind? 
It's just going to change it back again. Your mind's going to do what it wants. Your mind is the tree of knowledge. That's what you know. God can change your mind for the good. God can breathe life into your mind. But you have to admit you're wrong and God's right. You want to say you're right, but the devil deceived you. They, they, they defrauded you. They lied to you. And I understand that inclination to blame someone else for the fact that you were deceivable. Your eyes were not open or you closed your eyes to their deception. And when you open your eyes now and see that you were deceived, you see the light of your own folly and your foolishness. And so what do you do? You hide in the bushes of their contempt. You say, it's their fault. No, it's your fault. What they did is their fault. What you did is your fault. Stop blaming everybody else. The guy in Florida wants to blame everybody else. Everybody wants to cry fraud. The devil deceived me. The snake lied. The snake actually told you the truth. In a kind of deceptive way. But you could not see it because you were already closing your eyes to the truth. You are already vain. That's what vanity is. You close your eyes to God and think you can make the decision yourself. You think your mind can figure it out. Your mind can't figure it out. You can't even control your mind. And he goes on to say, If the information I present to you will change your mind... You have to be willing to change your mind. Well, if the information I present to you can change your mind, then you are my slave. (laughs) The information I present to you is to break the bars and the bonds which are controlling your mind. Not to control your mind. I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to follow what I say. I worry. It frightens me. It concerns me. It it causes uh, consternation in me when I hear people quoting me. I want them to live according to the Holy Spirit. I don't want to become another tree of knowledge for you. Because you're not going to get out of your deception. The only thing that can take you out of the deception of your personal tree of knowledge, what you think, is to submit to what God is trying to tell you right now. To awaken the Holy Spirit in you. You can't awaken it. But right now, you're keeping it from functioning. You have to learn to be still. Shut up. Stop trying to figure everything out and just admit you screwed up. 
and tell God, I don't, I don't, I cannot change my mind. I cannot fix my mind. I cannot fix what I'm seeing and not seeing. Now, how do you submit? Okay, your heart is going to beat in the next minute. And again, in the next minute after that. In the next minute after that. Who is your heart beating for? For you? Or for God? When you lift up your hands to do whatever it is you're going to do today. Are you lifting them up to God? Are you lifting them up for you? Are you lifting them up for God? Are you lifting them up for you? To you? How do you lift your hands up to God? Does God need help? Is there something so heavy that God can't lift it? Uh, you, You go to church to praise God. Is God so insecure that it needs your adulation to make him feel good? Why does God need your praise? Is he is he bipolar? Does he need reassuring? Does he lack confidence? What is worship? Isn't worship serving God? Doing the will of the Father? What is the will of the Father? Isn't it to love your neighbor as yourself? To care for others as much as you care for yourself. To provide for others as much as you would have others provide for you. This is why I tell people there's 50% income tax in the kingdom of God. Now how you impose that 50%. I mean like there's some people say there's 8 hours in a day. (laughs) Some people say there's 24 hours in a day. (laughs) It depends on you're talking a work day. But the fact is, there's 24 hours in a day. You divide that up into three different parts. You got eight and eight and eight. So you go to work eight hours a day. Okay. You got another eight hours off a day that you're not working. And then you got another eight hours a day that you could be resting. Well, isn't... You know, the Sabbath is your day of rest. Isn't that rest that you do every day? Isn't that... That should be part of your prayer time. Is that rest time? So, in eight hours at work, and eight hours to your own self to do what you want to do, and then eight hours of rest, how how does this divide up into 50% income tax? Well, some of the money you make, you give to God for others. Because God don't need your money. We don't we don't build cathedrals or big churches or any of those things, so we don't need your money for that. But we do try to help one another, to be there for one another. We you know, somebody called up one of our our ministers the other day, and he happened, that minister actually happened to be in that same town, performing a job in that town. It's not where he lives, but he happened to be in that town. And he got called up because his number's on the website. And the guy knew all about his holy church. And he was asked, well, are you in a congregation? No. 
but he needed help. He got a broken leg or something. I don't, I don't know. He was going to call me, but I've never gotten a call. And uh, his car's broke down. He's living in his car in this town that's quite a ways away from me, but, you know, I could get up there. But who is he? What What's he been doing? He's had a wife. He's had kids. Where's his kids? Where's his family? Why is he in such a state? Well, I'd ask him if he called. But he should be calling his minister. But he doesn't have a minister with us. He's known about us for years, but he's never joined in a congregation. But now he has a need, and so now he's calling us. And it doesn't mean we won't help him. We have somebody else on the other side of the country. He's known about us, been to my house, uh, met with me a number of times, talks to me a long time, writes emails back and forth. We've offered him and his wife, well, he's had some hard times lately. Financially, he's strapped. And now he wants the congregation to help him out. Now, why isn't he a member of the congregation? When I say member, I mean assembling with that congregation. Why isn't he sharing with that congregation? Why isn't he coming to that congregation like Christ came to us? In other words, coming to that congregation in the name, in other words, gathering in a free assembly in the name of Christ. Which means to, been coming to that congregation for the last two, three, four, five years with the intention of serving that congregation. Doesn't mean that they all agree with him. Maybe he's there to voice this other opinion. But coming there not just to argue, but to serve, to give, to give of himself. Why hasn't he been doing that? Because now he needs help from that congregation. Well, from what I understand, the congregation's going to help him out anyway. But what's he going to do next week? What's he going to do next month? Is he going to freely assemble with a group of people that are seeking the kingdom of God, but assemble in the name of Christ. In other words, come to that congregation to serve. Because see, the whole law of the kingdom, all the Ten Commandments, everything, you can't even keep the Ten Commandments unless you keep this basic fundamental law upon which all the Ten Commandments hinge, which is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And how is it to love your neighbor if you won't gather together to serve your neighbor, to help your neighbor, to be there for your neighbor? We've had many people in the network that have actually needed help. Where was he? We'll be right back. Welcome back. No man can serve two masters. That's what it says. That's what Jesus says in Matthew anyway. That no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one 
and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And, well, we have lots of articles on what mammon is, but the fact is, is uh, serving God is doing the will of God. In Matthew twenty-one thirty-one, he says, whether of the twain, talking about the two brothers, uh, did the will of his father. The one who said he was going to do the will of his father, the one who actually did the will of the father. Because the first one who, who said he wasn't going to do the will of the father eventually repented and went and did it. And that was the right one. So I hear a lot of people say they love Jesus and all this stuff, but they're not doing the will of Jesus because they're not gathering in his name. They're not coming together to serve one another. They're not with their whole heart, mind, and soul. They're not really being like the early church. Oh, they got their ideas. They got what they in their mind they think is right. They got their their doctrines. But their doctrines aren't the doctrines of Christ because they aren't gathering together to do the will of God, which is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Whoever shall do the will of God the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. And why should we help those who are not doing the will of God? Now, the fact is, is I can show almost everybody, once I get to know them, where they are not doing the will of God. <laughs> they, they may be doing the will of God here, and they may be doing the will of God over here. And they may even be doing the will of God over here. But let's find where they're not doing the will of God because that's where they need the help. That's where they need to be made perfect in the Lord. Uh, Glory to God, Luke says in 2.14, in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So how are you showing goodwill towards men when you won't even gather to help take care of one another? For shame, for shame. You've known of the congregations that have been talking about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness for years, and you have not joined with them. Yeah, they they live far away, but it's not about emotional support. It's about gathering together in the Spirit of God. You don't need to be in the same room to gather in the Spirit of God. Jesus said, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You know, and it goes on in, in verse 18, For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Shall come. Right away after the resurrection, he's meeting with the the apostles, and he's eating and drinking. What do you got to eat, he says? Kingdom must be there. He said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. I'm going to appoint it to you. And over here, he says, I appoint it to you. Done deal. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, Him he heareth. What's God's will? That you love one another. 
How can you love one another if you won't gather in free assemblies with one another with the intention to serve? You're going to stay in the quicksand. This is why he hardened the heart of the Pharaoh. So that the people would have to learn how to take care of one another during the famines. And because they were taking care of one another during the famines, during the plagues that befell Egypt, they were ready to get out of the swamp. Because he was draining the swamp in their own heart. The swamp in their own heart is composed of muddy accusations cast at the Jews and the Rothschilds and the Illuminati. And I mean, who can we blame? I can't even think of all the people they blame. There's other people who have a whole list of people they blame. You know, the Federal Reserve and, you know, it's always everybody else's fault. No, it's not. As long as you keep thinking that, you're going to stay struggling in the quicksand. And what happens when you struggle in quicksand? You keep sinking. (laughs) You keep sinking. Stop fighting against everybody else and admit you're in quicksand because you've been slothful in the ways of God. I mean, if Jesus could teach you to walk on water, he can certainly teach you to walk on quicksand. But you got to turn around. You got to look the other way. You got to look and do the will of God. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. But, you know, that's John eleven twenty two. But, but he says. The ones who doeth his will, him he heareth. Him he heareth. So when you ask of God, he isn't going to hear you unless you doeth his will. So what happens a lot of times is people do a little bit of God's will. You know, they take care of, you know, somebody in their family, somebody they love. And God hears them. Okay, you want to take it to the next level. You got to take care of somebody you don't even know. <laughs> that's right. That's that's why the network is there. So you have some place to cast your bread upon the waters. Now you could drive down the street and just throw $20 bills out the window. That's kind of like casting your bread upon the waters. I mean, somebody's going to find that $20 bill and pick it up. Or you can actually gather together in a congregation that is seeking the will of the Father and cast your bread upon that congregation who cast it upon another congregation in hopes, and they won't always do it right, of doing the actual will of the Father in a way that strengthens the poor. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge said God, and after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. That's Acts 7.7. 7. So, that's what I'd like to see you guys do. Instead of blaming everything on everybody else. 
First, you have to, you know, while you're still paying your palliative breaks, you have to become the benefactors that do not exercise authority one over the other. That way you can get Egypt out of your own heart. You Because you're going to have to see your own heart when you start giving. Yeah, I mean, you got to give till it hurts a little bit. You, you know, I don't need, you know, I could use a lot of help. <laughs> you know, uh, my work day is full. You know, I, I would like to spend more time preparing for these broadcasts, but I have to put a lot of hours in doing other work. And, you know, the help I get from others, you know, there are people who say they want to come and help, but they, they want to work like four hours a day. <laughs> While I'm working 60. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't add up. I'm sorry. You got to do the math. No, you got, you got to, you know, Christ was on the job all day long. <laughs> he was working. And that's what we're looking for is workers. There's a lot of self-starters out there. There are a lot of people who are hard workers and industrious and everything. And But the people who come around a lot of times, they, you know, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's too much. Oh, that's... And they're, they're more burdened than they are workers. And, and that's just not going to do. I mean, everybody can find an excuse why, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. But the slothful should stay under tribute. The diligent shall bear rule. I was pulling weeds the other day in a 40-acre field. <laughs> like I'm going to get them all pulled up. But we had some thistle that had gotten into the field. And the crop is still small enough where I can I can see where some of that thistle is coming up. And I would go out there and pull it up. And what you do is stick a shovel in right next to it. And loosen the ground a little bit. And then you reach down and pull it up. Well, these are spiny thistles. I mean, they poke your hands. And so you have to grab them and you're getting poked. The prickers as you're trying to get at that root. Because you want to pull up the whole root. I pulled up probably 200 of them yesterday. (laughs) But fortunately, I always have gloves on. Actually, I don't have gloves on. My hands look like gloves. (laughs) But I, I was thinking of the number of people that would not do that. They would not grab those spiny thistles. Go, oh, that, that prick at my fingers. Oh, they hurt. You you want to serve God and you're worried about a few pricks on your fingers? That something is difficult? Try crucifixion. That's difficult. <laughs> and Christ was willing to be crucified for you. What are you willing to do for Christ? Ask not what God can do for you. Ask rather what you can do for God. (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. Love those you don't even know. Start caring about others. You know, that's one of the clever things that um, a lot of these missionary societies do is that they get you to sponsor this poor little child. They get some little cute kid, get his picture send it to you and then you're supposed to send 20 bucks a month how much of that money actually gets to the kid do you know do you have any idea (laughs) how much actually gets to the kid well that's another story but anyway you need to be seeking to do the will of the father 
And, uh, but anyway, I was going on with, uh, I w- wanted to get those basics out in, in, into this recording. Is you have to stop blaming the devil and the, all these other people in the world for your problems. You have to realize that you are a surety for debt. You are a human resource. And the only one who can set you free is God. And the only way that God is going to set you free is that you ask Him and that He heareth you. Because it's very clear that you... I mean, this guy in Florida is even talking about electing a monarch. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely not what we're supposed to be doing. There are provisions in the Bible where you can elect a monarch. But then you have to write a constitution and have five basic elements. I don't think he knows what those are. But the reality is is that that is not really the solution. We have another king. Jesus didn't come and say, okay, this way you elect a monarch. <laughs> there, if you actually knew what Christ was doing and the early church was doing, and you tried to do that, which includes gathering together in a network that is not just concerned about you, but also the people in Corinth, and the people in Ephesus, and the people in Galatia, and the people in Poughkeepsie, and the people in Florida, and the people in Washington, and the people in Oregon, and the people in Connecticut, and the people in Vermont, and the people in Canada, including Marcus, where you're actually caring about others, then God will hear you. (laughs) Because he says that if you want all these other things, like a king and a ruler and, uh, you know, a state-issuing currency. <laughs> He's not going to hear you. You don't need that stuff. Well, you might need it. But you don't... If that's what you're seeking, you're not seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You have to be coming together with the intention of caring for people, not just those that love you, but people who don't even know you. And that that network needs to be bond with the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And your duty to your fellow man is to love him in a way that strengthens him. Which means telling him the truth. And the truth is, it's not the fault of the Jews or the Rothschilds or the Illuminati. It's your fault. That's the truth. That attacks your delusion. But unless you're willing to accept that and repent of the fact that you have closed your eyes, you have been slothful, and start getting diligent in the ways of God, filling one another's water flasks. flasks. That's what Philos talks about, the famine. Why did they need to fill each other's water vases? Because there was a shortage of good drinking water. You ready to do that? You ready to set up, learn how to set up water treatment plants in every congregation? To help one another? You're ready to create a network of charity that reaches all across the world? Well, don't sweat small beginnings, but that's what you need to be doing. If you're not doing that, you will not be free. But anyway, Marcus goes on and, uh, you know, he talked about you can't change your mind. There are only two ways to see things. One is with your eyes and the other is with your mind called imagery or imagination it is the second one that is controlled by law you are not aware of that he says 
It is not wise to let your conscience be your guide when you are asleep. <laughs> in other words, you're not conscious. Well, in order to become conscious, in order to see the light, you must be willing to see yourself. You cannot hide from the light about yourself and see the light of God's wisdom. And if you don't see the light of God's wisdom, you can't get back to the tree of life, to eat of the tree of life instead of the tree of knowledge. So therefore, you have to come up with more and more intellectual solutions for your problem. And all the stuff that I have written is not a solution. It says that in the very first book. This is not a solution. The solution is you have to see yourself as you really are. And there's another part to that solution. You have to shut up. You have to shut your mind up. Stop listening to your mind. Start listening to the mind of God. That takes humility. That takes patience. How do you learn patience? Congregate. (laughs) Congregate with others. Because they will test your patience. (laughs) Guaranteed. People will test your patience. They will for years and years not gather with you, not contribute to you. But when they need help, they will show up and say, I need help. I didn't want to be there to help you, but I want you there to help me. Now, the truth is that congregation is helping them. But is he going to see the is he going to be awakened to the fact that he has been in bondage to what he imagines is the doctrines of Christ that has kept him away from gathering in the name of Christ where he could have gotten all kinds of help but can't get that help because he won't gather in the name of Christ. He's not really trusting God yet. I mean, he does a little bit. But we got to do a little bit more. Actually, we have to do it a lot more. <laughs> a lot and a lot more. Same with the guy here. And, and, and I'm, just, I'm not picking on these guys. I love these guys. Even the guy I haven't met yet, who's in this nearby town or somewhat nearby town, and hasn't called me yet. I would like to help him. But I want to help him in a way that strengthens him. That gives him back his life. I don't want him dependent upon life from me. I want him dependent upon life from God. In order to do that, he has to see that he's in a quagmire of delusion. And he has to admit that he's in a quagmire of delusion because of his own sloth and his own covetousness, his own selfishness, his own vanity. And look at himself. And then take it to the next level. Start doing the will of the Father. And we know that the people who should be listening to this and doing this, and I mean, the church used to be the entire social welfare for the people of America and many other countries. All the widows and orphans are taken care of by free will offerings or their family. Uh, But that's why they call them widows and orphans. Something's happened, their family's broken down, and now they need help, and they can't depend upon their family because they're orphaned from their family. They're widowed from their family. They may be, you know... uh, an 80-year-old orphan. In other words, his family's all gone. He doesn't have his family. And he needs help. And that's where the church comes in. But the church can't do that unless the congregations are uh, 
are, are in the process of the Eucharist of Christ, which is thanksgiving. Ha- happy for the opportunity of giving. Which, you know, we'll actually cover that a little bit in the liturgy of James, because they talk about supplication and thanksgiving all the time. And, and I mean, uh, well, I won't do it all now, but we'll go through that at another time. Why do they keep talking about that? Because the church was the Corbin, of, supposed to be the Corbin of Christ. It should be pure religion, pure Corbin of Christ, which means unspotted by the world. Unfortunately, the church of Constantine was not unspotted by the world because, like I said, Constantine jump-started that church of Constantine. But the Church of Constantine and the Church of Jesus Christ operated side by side for years. For almost a thousand years, they operated side by side. There were those that were doing much like the Christians, but were still depending upon the gifts, gratuities, and benefits of rulers. Wasn't a lot of rulers around. Charlemagne was trying to make a name for himself, but he kept getting chased back by real Christians. And the same way, well, I won't go into all that, but I can show you all kinds of history of where that was taking place. Real Christians were still around, but a thousand years after the fall of Jerusalem, the beast rose up and began to crown kings that began to oppress the real church, kill the real church. Millions of millions of real Christians were killed and were forced underground and their teachings were forced underground. But in order to hide the teachings of Christ required a conscious effort. And they do this by trying to get you to read the Bible but not see the truth of the Bible. Like I I was just pointing out again, people who I know have read the Bible time and time and time again, I can quote from that same Bible that they've read and they say, is that in the Bible? I said, yeah, you read the Bible. Yeah, I've read it every year. I says, well, that's in the Bible. And that's actually the words of Jesus Christ. He said that. <laughs> I said, it's in your Bible. He means actually reading the same exact version. But he, they don't know that particular, because they read it and they don't see it. They don't get it. They've read it over and over again and they don't see it. And we're talking some learning men here. Why don't they see it? Well, because they're not doing the will of the Father. Which is simple. Gather in the name of Christ. Which means to gather with the intention of giving and serving in a way that strengthens the needy of your Whole society, not just your local congregation, but the whole society. And then you will wake up because right now you're asleep. You're not conscious of the ways of God. But you have to admit that so that you can become conscious. This program uh, ends with a clear example to prove you own no property and... uh, more details on how to swindle workers, he says. That's not the way it works. But we'll have to talk about that next time on Keys of the Kingdom. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless.